welcome to the Healthy Mindfuck Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Lee. This show is completely dedicated to giving you the stories, strategies, and top performance hacks from extraordinary minds around the globe. Without further ado, let's dive right in. I hope you had an amazing time on this episode. As always, I want to give a huge shout out to our guest for swinging through here and dropping knowledge. And if you guys had a special takeaway, something that really stuck with you, if you could do us a favor and just drop that in a comment, in a review on the show, it helps us out tremendously. It also gives us the necessary feedback so we can continue to bring on guests that inspire you to be your best possible self. And if you haven't yet, head on over to Instagram at Dr. Chris Lee, give me a follow. And if you go into the link in my bio right there, you'll also see that Wired for Worthy are neuroscience-based, expressive, amazing group of unicorns community is open and ready to go. Or you can have this little secret. If you go to the show notes of this show and click on Wired for Worthy Community, what you will find is actually a $20 coupon to get inside of the community itself and start your journey to emotional freedom. Thank you so much for being a part of this family, and we will see you on the next one. What is going on, my friends? Welcome to another episode of the Healthy Mindfuck Podcast. We are honored today to have Captain Hoff aboard this ship. Uh, my new friend here, Stephen Hoffman, has published multiple books, and we're going to dive into a lot of really beautiful conversations around behavior modification, understanding our stress, and functional approaches to rewiring that beautiful mind and getting the genius up out the paper and just doing the thing that we are meant to do. So, Stephen, brother, I'm super excited to have this conversation. Like, I know I said that a hundred times before we started recording, but like, this is going to be a good time. Dr. Chris, it's wonderful to be here. Amazing. So. Tell us a little bit about yourself, but truly, like we talk, I want to hear, how did you get the dubbed Silicon Valley nickname of Captain Hoff? I need this story. So Captain Hoff was my gamer handle. I'm a big time gamer. My, my close friends know that. They call me Captain Hoff and it just stuck. Once a few of my friends started calling me it in front of other people, then it propagated. Silicon Valley is a very small community. That's where I am. And now I'm known actually globally as Captain Hoff, and especially in China. I have a huge number of fans in China, and they all know me as the captain. That's phenomenal. Some of those things just stick, and then you're just like, why? Like, and that's like such a cool one, too. My friends did not call me cool names like that. So tell us about what you do in the world, because what you do is such a unique perspective. So like we talked about before we started recording, I did my adequate creeping on you and a huge perspective that you're bringing is the ability to critically think your way into properly aligned action. And when I look at the way that successful people begin to navigate themselves into action, they have this higher executive function, right? Which we can get into the, to the weeds of the neuropsychology and a lot of that, but tell us about what you do. So I'm a bunch of things. First of all, I run Founderspace, and Founderspace is a global startup incubator. We operate in 22 countries around the world, so I'm always traveling, and oh, I wow. work with hundreds of entrepreneurs, coaching them how to overcome these obstacles. Lots of them are mental obstacles that are holding them back from achieving their full potential. In addition to that, I'm a venture investor, so I invest in these startups, and I'm an author. 
In fact, HarperCollins just published my new book, Surviving a Startup, which really goes deep on this. You know, everything entrepreneurs need to know to get through this journey, which can be a true challenge to any of us, no matter how well-equipped we think we are. So much so. And like the, the statistics, when I started a couple of my companies, the statistics really scared me that like after three years, 80% of these companies fail. Why do these companies fail? Let me tell you, um, they don't have to fail, first of all. Uh, startups, startup founders make a lot of mistakes. And I made these mistakes. I did three venture funded startups of my own, two bootstrap startups. So I know failure. I know when you hit these walls and I'll talk about that. But honestly, a lot, one of the biggest things is psychological. And yeah. I will tell you, too many entrepreneurs fall in love with their idea. They fall and you know what they say, love is blind. You know, mm. when you fall in love, you, you don't, everybody could tell you this isn't, this isn't working. This relationship isn't working, but you will block it out because yes. you want to believe in it. When you do a startup, it's the same thing. It's your baby. You give birth to it. You want to prove to the world that, that you want the world to love your baby and you want yeah. to prove to them that they should, but that's not how it works. Great. Oh, you're, you're saying the cardinal sins. This is, this is not what they tell me in the textbooks or what these these TED Talks are telling me, tell me more. Yeah. Let me tell you, your passion for your project doesn't matter in the real world. Like well, people say- People are going to come at you with, pitch, with pitchforks and torches, sir. It doesn't matter how passionate you are about what you're making, what you're building. If the customer, the ultimate person who is going to use it and consume it doesn't care. Oh my so gosh. what matters- is not how much you love your product, but how much your customer loves your product. This is what people forget. So oh my gosh. I, I tell- tattooed on my forehead. Yeah, a tattoo. So I tell entrepreneurs, don't love your product. That's not where your love should be focused. Love your customer. Make sure your customer gets all your love. And then if they get all your love, you will build a product that they fall in love with. Oh, this is- this is one of those lessons that like, you know, three companies ago, I wish I would have known because like my personal passions, I was trying to like transform into a business. And that was like the, the neuroplasticity and frontal cortex activation. And I can't sell that to customers because like they, they just couldn't connect to those things. Right. I was overshooting. And again, this is where I run into this challenge a lot with, with startups that they just don't have the clarity of what the customer actually desires. Exactly. So like with your idea, you love this idea. You're passionate. It's your life. That's why you're doing this podcast, everything. But how do you create a product out of that idea? That idea could be brilliant, yeah. but it's not a product. And those are two different things. And that's where entrepreneurs get confused and they're, uh, they go all wrong because they think, oh, if I just try one more thing, if I just put in more effort, yeah. you know, if you are going the wrong direction, it doesn't matter how hard you work. You can work yourself to death. You're still not going to get to the destination you want to get to. Oh, and so I, I see this all the time. Like I want to go see a sunrise, right? And they just sprint west. And I'm like, you're going to be running a long time there, friend. You will be running a long time. I see it. So early on, when I work with startups, I actually coach them. You know, don't really go into a company thinking you have to have an idea. First of all, the idea can actually hamper you. Like very few people have an epiphany and it actually uh, is, is born and then it comes into the world as they imagined it. You know, most of the great companies out there actually started with one idea 
and then switch to another. This is just how it works. Like Google thought they were doing an academic tool so that researchers could find papers online. That's not what Google is. Right. You know, YouTube was a video dating site. That's not what YouTube is. You know, all of these sites started in a different area and then they switched. So I tell entrepreneurs, you know, don't uh, go in there with an idea. You don't have to have an idea, have multiple ideas, have a yes. number of ideas, then go to the people you think are the exact people it will resonate with and start engaging them. Figure out if, if the, how they react. Does it solve a need do they, that they really, really, really have? Is this, is this a product that they would actually pay for? Or is mm. it a nice to have? These type of, this type of information at the earliest stages makes all the difference. I could not agree more. I, I just had a conversation with some of my clients about getting better at quitting right? And like falling out of love with those ideas. So you talk a lot about putting these ideas, multiple ideas into action. But one of like the biggest things that I recognize some of my clients facing resistance with is the fear of rejection. Yes, because they associate themselves, their identity with their idea. So if you associate, as soon as you make that mental leap, and it's all mental, right? This mm -hmm. is, we're just talking psychology, basic psychology. As soon as you associate your idea with your identity, you don't want it to fail. You will not give up on it. You don't want to change it. You don't want to be rejected because if people reject your, your idea, you think they're rejecting you. you. That's why I don't want you to focus on the idea. I want you to focus on the customer, their needs, understanding them, serving them. And then as you engage the customer, what in like the world is out there, right? There, there are always customers out there and there's always what I call new pockets of demand. Demand building up like this pressure because markets are shifting, technology is changing, the world's in constant flux. So there's unmet demand. If you can tap into a pocket of unmet demand and really uh, then craft a product to fill that need, boom, that will propel your startup. That's what propels startups. N nobody creates demand. The best ideas in the world, there's often no demand for as a product, but the demand is out there. And if you can find it, then you make your product. Oh my goodness. I wish I would have had you three and a five years ago. This would have saved me. It would have saved me so much time. So we tend to see, right? The unsuccessful people are kind of going in this lack of clarity. They get attached to the idea and the idea becomes themselves. They get the rejection because if they don't love the idea, then they don't love me. What are the successful people doing? Like, have you noticed traits? You said it yourself. Successful people quit all the time, but they quit these ideas knowing that it's not them. It's the idea that doesn't work. They haven't failed. It's not a failure. So they try lots of things. They're looking for always new opportunities. They're going out into the market. They're testing. And most importantly, they're going really deep. They're not stopping at the surface level. They are pushing beyond. To, to get at something that no some people haven't figured out. Because mm -hmm. if you don't do this, you're just going to be like everybody else. And then it's a really tough world. You're usually competing on price and things like that. If you want to be an innovator, somebody really creative, that's what you have to do. You have to go into the world and actually uh, start figuring things out that other people don't see quite yet ahead of them. And you're quite literally like a the center of that out in, in Silicon Valley with like innovation. And so I had this conversation and it's, it's more of like a, it's more of a functional approach to, I guess, reality that a lot of us were kind of raised in the age of industry where we had more practical application for a skill. 
versus now we are in the age of information where you are quite literally paid for your ability to problem solve and making that distinction and that shift. I mean, that's innovation and finding that creative flow. And that tends to be where I find people gain success as well. What do you think about that? Creativity is the most valuable asset you have today. And that means being a creative, deep thinker about the world. That means your ability to go into the world and see things that other people don't see, put together, make connections that other people aren't making. This is where these people are creating enormous amounts of value in this world, but doing it in the right way, having the right process is also really important. It's not enough just to be wildly creative. I mean, you can be, you could be an artist and really uh, make great stuff, but if you're gonna build, not be a solo contributor, an individual contributor, but build a company, then you need to think about how am I being creative? How can I utilize the resources of the world to actually fulfill these creative ideas I have? How can I get the right people on board? Really critical. How can I get the capital I need? You know, how do I access that? How can I access the markets out there that aren't, that aren't tapped yet? These things separate just a creative person from a true innovator that goes into the world and builds new things that, that grow. Oh, this is, is creativity and curiosity trainable? That's can you train a great somebody? Question. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, some people are more curious than others naturally. So they have an edge. It's just like if you, some people have more athletic ability. Some people have higher intelligence than other people. We are all born with what we're born with. However, everybody can improve. And I will tell you, hard work, discipline, putting in the effort makes an enormous difference. Like you can, you can become more creative. There are so many things. The first thing you can do to be creative The first is simply to question everything. Question, why do people do it this way? Could they do it a new way? What new technologies are there out there? Why don't I go out and try these things? Can I, can I put, how can I put these to use in the real world? Also surround yourself with other creative people so that you interact with them on a daily basis. You're not doing this alone. Tune in to podcasts like this, resources that actually expand your mind. These are active steps you can take. And Einstein said it really well. You know, he was like the most creative genius ever, in my opinion, you know, able to conceptualize things that nobody could even imagine, relativity, all these concepts that were alien to everybody else before his time. But what he said is it's combinatorial play. So Einstein would sit in his mind and pull in ideas and piece them together and say, what if this and this were together? What if I put these together? What would happen? And he would start to imagine. You can do this. Anybody can do this. Maybe not at Einstein's level, but you can do it within your own realm and you can be better than your peers, better than your competitors out there and actually gain a real edge over them. Maybe you won't be the next Elon Musk, but you could, in your little niche, you can do a much better than you are doing today. So this is this is one of a, a co- couple different directions that I want to go that I've heard that stress is the killer of creativity. But when I look at people that are creating like genuine like innovation, especially in the world of neuroscience, and they're thinking about, you know, different tech or they're just 
I like, wow, I've never thought about it that way. They have practices put into their day that they almost have periods of like mindlessness. And one of those things that I tend to see these people do is they're just going for walks, right? And out in nature and they're letting ideas kind of come to them and they're writing them down. And then they have this period of reflection where they are then taking these ideas and seeing if they can smash together. And me, I can't help thinking of like what the nervous system's doing and like, oh, that walk is a part of like stress regulation, but they're also letting their brain process through these different things. You notice some of that yourself or have you ever like, are these part of the protocols that you help your clients with? Absolutely. So for me, a lot of times it's in the shower and because that shower is downtime and there's something interesting when you are doing a mechanical motion repetitive, like I wash myself the same way every time, like I go through this routine, then just doing that motion, it sort of frees, you know, you're, you're going through this, this routine and your brain is just totally free. There are no distractions because you're focused on this, yet it's still processing. And that's when ideas pop up. Same thing with the walk, you know, Immanuel Kant, all these great thinkers would walk every day. Like they would walk and they would think because they're just walking, they're in the process, their body's moving, the things they're in, like you said, a sort of flow. They're in a flow and their brain suddenly frees up because when you're at your computer, when you're doing uh, things around the house, when, you know, when you're interacting with people, you are focused on those specific tasks. But when you're walking or in the shower, you're suddenly, you're focused on a task that isn't all consuming. So that, mm-hmm. that it just consumes part of your brain enough to you know, calm you down. And then all of a sudden your mind can start to go directions it doesn't go. Now, I will tell you, great thinkers, uh, when I was talking earlier about combinatorial play, you have to have things to combine. So really, you, you, know, you don't get these epiphanies out of nowhere, these ideas popping into your brain. They come from what you've digested, all the information that you've been digesting. So really, a lot of the best innovations in the world are at the intersections of different fields, like psychology, sociology, technology, you know, you neuroscience, uh, biology, you name it, industry, different industries. If you go deep on these different fields, if you expose yourself to a lot of different input, art, and all these different things, then when your mind is in that flow, relaxed state, you these ideas will naturally come together. And you'll start to say, wow, what if I combined this idea in design thinking with this industrial process and this new technology that just came out, wow, I could actually do something that nobody's done before that could be incredibly valuable. Oh, so bring me into the world of stress management because you and I can have a a very simple conversation that let's just say good ideas happen in a portion of the frontal cortex or the parietal junction, right? But the moment that you break your threshold for stress, right? Stimulus to stress, that area of the brain goes offline. How important is stress management? Absolutely important Uh, in terms of creativity, productivity, and just health, like everything, like stress affects every part of your being. First of all, being an entrepreneur myself, working with hundreds of entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs are under intense pressure. Mm -hmm. A lot of that is self-induced. Like honestly, entrepreneurs are their own worst enemies because they're their own boss. And like in a normal boss, you can escape. You can say, oh, it's the boss, it's the weekend, I'm just not gonna respond, it's that thing. But with, when you're your own boss, you can't escape because you're in your head, always saying, there's one more thing to do. You could work harder, you could do this. Or even worse, putting yourself down. 
like saying, you know, things you're not doing well enough, you're not talented enough, or hyping yourself up, catastrophizing. Oh my God, if this deal doesn't come through, we're sunk. All of these things are really negative stress-inducing thoughts that you're, and if you're having them, you're not alone because most entrepreneurs have these at one time or another. Yeah. The key though, is that these things are going to determine the actions you take. The more stress you're under, you tend to really want to get rid of that stress. So if you're under huge pressure, you're going to make decisions, not necessarily in the best interest of your business or the most creative decisions. You're going to be making decisions because your mind will want to get rid of this stress. How can I reduce that stress? A lot of times that means decisions that take less risk. Now, being an entrepreneur, it's all about risk. It's about risk management. It's about taking the right risks at the right times. But Often you'll see an opportunity and go, oh, that's just too stressful. I can't deal with another thing. I can't go down that path. Or I I'm so full with so many things on my plate. I don't want to think about anything else that right. I could do. And really that's shutting off innovation. That's shutting off creativity because you're not exploring these other paths because you're so stressed out. You can't even handle what you have today on your plate. And I see this so often that like I'll unfortunately watch entrepreneurs give up meetings or they'll give up opportunities or they won't even like put themselves in like the mental dojo to just think about it for a moment. Right. And then the idea like floats by and like those ideas, those opportunities, if you don't take it happily, there's somebody out there that is itching and burning to go get that for sure. But one of like the plagues that I watch run through entrepreneurship is burnout because people have like really great innovation and business systems. But at the end of the day, your threshold for the business, especially if it's like a, a think tank is you and these people are just barbecuing themselves. Do you have any systems in your daily life that help you prevent burnout? Cause like I I've worked with three clients today alone that are just fried. Yes. And, and all of us can get there and most, you know, burnout isn't the number of hours, hours you work. Burnout isn't what other people are doing to you. Burnout ultimately comes down to what you're doing to yourself. So people have to realize this. If you're blaming other people, if you're blaming situations, it's usually not the cause because oh, yeah. people can do a lot, a lot more than, than they think they can. But when they are doing it in an environment where they cannot stand uh, what, you know, the thoughts coming in their brain, you know, it's out of control. They feel this huge amount of pressure. They feel this Burnout is, is a form of depression, right? I just can't go through this anymore. I can't put myself through this. I can't get up out of bed and face this. That is true burnout. How do you deal with it? So I've been there. Like I've been burned out. Like, and I, and I have been under enormous pressure with companies and board of directors and investors that weren't happy and that were making me miserable. But at the same time, I realized they are doing this, but I don't have to react because they are doing this. I don't mm -hmm. have to put myself under the pressure that they want me to feel or that I think they want me to feel. So this is the trick I use. There's a couple, a couple different uh, psychological uh, states that I put myself in. And honestly, right now, I don't suffer these things anymore. Like I have gotten to the point where I can go through really uh, difficult situations, but not feel the pressure which I used to be able to, I was hypersensitive to all this stuff, but it, it took me a long time to figure it out. And what I figured out is number one, uh, it's your perspective. 
So whatever you tell yourself becomes reality. So if you say, if we lose this deal, it's going to kill us, then it's going to kill you thinking about that. Every, yes. You're going to be, or I can't, if you say, I can't lose this deal, like I can't, it'll, you know, it's too important. All of a sudden you put yourself under an enormous amount of unnecessary pressure. You yes. will not, you might think it'll get you to perform better. You do not perform better under those situations. You have stress reactions. You don't make the right decisions and you don't think clearly. So what I tell people is look at your whole life. Look back a year, two years. What were the most critical problems you had? Do you really care about those today? Do they even matter to you today? Go back five years. Can you even remember all the things you were stressing about every day five years ago? Really hard to even remember. But right. you thought those were the end of the world. You thought those were so critical. So I tell people, now, now, right in your life, whatever you're worrying about, imagine yourself a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, you're not going to even care about 99.9% .9 of this stuff. It will not matter. That is number one. Number two, listen to how you speak to yourself. Like we all have a constant dialogue running in our head, telling ourselves how to view the world. Now, a lot of the way we view the world is because of how we were raised, uh, because of our own brain chemistry. There's a lot of brain chemistry in there. You have to start to understand and take control of this dialogue. Just allowing the dialogue to emerge and reacting to it is, is what most people do. And it's really actually unhealthy. You don't gain any self-awareness, anything like that. Take the time to basically, every time you speak to yourself, to disassociate who you are from that voice in your head. Like that, there's a voice in my head that's telling me this is who I am. Is that who I want to be? Mm -hmm. Is that the type of voice, the type of conversation that will make me stronger, make me better, make me more productive, make me into the person I want to be? More often than not, there are pieces of that conversation that really um, are negative. They are not contributing to who you want to be. You have the ability to edit those out. You have the ability to, to literally reprogram your mind how, and speak to yourself. Now, think about it. Imagine there are two of you, right? There's, there's the part of you that is whatever it is, right? It was created. You have inherited this as a child, like you're grown up with your parents and, and all these things and your neurochemistry. There's this thing that's created. And then there's the you that you want to be, right? Now, how would you talk to yourself if you were somebody else and you were really trying to nurture them. You were really supportive of them. You really wanted them to succeed. Can you turn that other part of you into that, that nurturing, want to support, really go-getter, really compassionate, really understanding, non-judgmental voice? Can you be that voice? It won't come naturally. None of these things come with, uh, with just just happen magically. And they don't happen overnight. Like you're not going to just wake up and say, oh, I get it. Now I, now I can talk to myself a new way. Literally, it's going to require years of work. And I say years because it will be an incremental process. But you, if you pay attention to everything you say yourself, if you say, oh, am I talking to a self by, uh, as the person that I want to be, that nurturing, kind, loving, supportive voice? Or am I talking to myself as some other thing that is actually hurting me? 
No. And then you start editing that. And over time, you will find that that voice in your head actually changes. That yeah. voice in your head can change. You have control over it. You might think you don't. You might think, well, whatever, however I talk to myself is however I talk to myself. But that's, our brains are very complex. Very, we have different levels of consciousness. We have different conceptions of our own identity formed from all these different feedback we got from the real world. And we actually have far more control than we realize. And I think so many people, maybe unconsciously, don't want to accept all of that responsibility, right? Because if they had the ability to change and they're not doing it, a lot of people just turn to shame, right? Like, I should have been better and I should have been doing all of this. And then that loop starts to kick in, right? Which is just feeding that voice. But I remember the day and I was writing things in a journal and I was in my like little crappy, like one bedroom apartment and like life was falling apart. And I remember the day that I was writing and the voice was so different that all the work had like, I finally reached that like critical mass, like the 51%. And I was like, oh my gosh, like all of that internal resistance, like the inner Woody Allen is not there anymore. And like, what a beautiful day that that was. And the voice comes back sometimes, right? But I mean, it took me a good period of time to start to do that. And this gets into some of the conversation that like most people understand that they are in the way of their own greatness, right? Like they are the limiting factor in their success and changing those patterns and rewriting that process. How do you start to do that with your clients? Because like, you know, the mental game like that, that is so much of a business, right? You can have every business system and like the best, you know, Harvard MBA on the face of the planet. And if behind it, the battery is not plugged in and it's not working for you, like that's where I watch these companies crumble. Yeah, crumble. People can be very successful on the outside, but miserable on the inside. All of this happens. You, uh, you can change it by tackling one piece at a time. You can never take on the whole thing. You can't like rewrite your voice, the way you talk to yourself, the script that you're, you're rehearsed, you know, you go through every time you hit adversity, every time somebody interacts with you in a way that you feel is negative, you know, all these things, you can't change that just overnight. But what you can do is, is you, it all starts by listening. It all starts. And like you said, you, you were writing it down. So write it down, keep a diary, look at that diary objectively, like literally every night, and, and every time you're thinking about anything, write it down and pay attention to things where whenever you start to feel a spike of uh, that, that uh, you know, cortisone, that stress, right, pumping through you, um, whenever you start to hear negative thoughts that kind of push you down, make note of those. Just make a mental note. Do I have to say that to myself? You know, you said, you know, you feel ashamed because you failed in the past and stuff, but that's just you telling yourself you have mm -hmm. to feel ashamed because exactly. you failed in that. You don't have to feel that way. You can give yourself the freedom not to feel certain ways. You can start to understand that whoever you were in the past, whatever you, mistakes you made in the past, those you can't change, right? They're there, but you can change everything from this point onward, from this minute onward, you can start to change how you look at the world, how you interact with the world, and the story you tell yourself about the past. Those mis You're telling yourself maybe negative stories about your failure in the past. Mm -hmm. Do you have to tell yourself those stories in that way? No, not at all. You can actually rewrite those stories for yourself. You can say, look, that was part of my learning process. 
I wouldn't be here today if I hadn't gone through that. Those were actually good experiences for me. Yes, they were tough. Yes, they were hard. Yes, I made mistakes, but we all do. Now I can start to move forward and start to recreate a new narrative. We all, it's really funny, but all of us live in a story of our own creation. Like yes. it's a story that we create. We are the authors of this story. And yet, but most of us don't realize that uh, that we can rewrite them. We can rewrite the entire narrative and create a new path for us in life that is so much better. Oh, I love this. So one of the conversations that I have probably on a weekly basis with some clients is that pulling the weeds is not the same as planting the garden, right? Pulling the weeds is identification of those patterns. For me, it's writing it down and saying that didn't work and I'm ready to quit that and put something else in and continue to innovate my internal systems. But I think one of the other things that people really struggle with is they'll pull all the weeds and recognize all the things that they don't want, but getting clear on the thing that they actually desire and planting the garden, that's where people run into trouble. Like, all right, I know that I don't want a nine to five, or I know that I don't want to be, you know, a, a slave to the computer or whatever that looks like for them. How can people start to get that clarity? So I think you get that clarity by knowing yourself. So first of all, there are certain things that all of us, and there are different things for every person, are really good at, like certain things that we are really good at. Um, can we make, can we move those to the center of our identity? And if we focus on them in doing those in our life, and we're really good at them, we will see results, like real world results. Are there things that you consistently screw up on? Like, uh, and you like, even, you know, a lot of us, I, let me tell you about me. So I'm a creative person, do a lot of creative work. I've been a writer. I've created games. I've, you know, done, uh, I was a Hollywood television executive. I, you know, ran my own companies, uh, game companies and different things like that. So I always prized myself on my creativity. I always dreamed since I was a young kid that I would be a great writer, like a great writer, you know, a Hemingway or a great movie writer, script screenwriter. But honestly, I didn't have the talent in that area. I could not, I, you know, I was good, but I was never great. And like, if you're gonna break through in the world, you can't, and you wanna break through in a, and especially in, a, in an industry like writing, which is so highly competitive. It's not like, you know, if you're, if you're a dentist, you could be a good dentist and that's fine. Like you mm -hmm. have a good business. If you're a good writer, you are nothing. Like you, you, only the very best, the cream of the crop get it. So I wasn't up to that level. And no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't do that. Now I'm talking creative writing, like fiction, you know, but then I understood wow, I can write nonfiction. You know, I wrote Surviving a Startup and these other books and people love them. Like people go nuts over them. Like it was actually not what I wanted to do, but it was what I really was great at. And mm -hmm. then, so I had to give up that. So first of all, I had to give up pieces of my dream that, you know, I just, you know, some people aren't the best athlete in the world. Like I couldn't write dialogue in the way that some people can write dialogue. There are people out there who are just so much more attuned to that, but I could write nonfiction actually because I was a very creative person and I could really write like I speak, I could make nonfiction come alive so much better than mm. other nonfiction writers, like make it so much more interesting yeah. and engaging. And I understood, wow, I should put my, my effort there. I should put my effort into helping other people like what we're doing now, like right. understand like who they are, how they can improve their life. So figuring out where your talents match 
with uh, what you want to achieve in life. You know, do you want to help people? Do you want to do these things? Aligning those is the first most important step towards being successful in the world and not just in your head. Oh my gosh, yes. Talk to me about focus. I see focus being, you know, almost something rare out into the world for people to have like absolute direction of like where they want to go and how they want to go. Because the modern world and all its appliances is kind of designed for us to defocus. And it's so easy to be distracted. Like that little black mirror that I have over there, I can go get lost on social media if I so choose for a period of time. But it seems as if successful people that are driven have the just unwavering focus. Is that something that's trainable? Yes. It, it requires a certain degree of discipline. So you have to be able to uh, turn off other things. And really, the, the ability to focus isn't, isn't just you, it's your environment. And you oh. have control over your environment. So a lot of people say, I can't focus because there's always a text message coming in. There's always some notification. There's, all, you know, there's always something I could be doing. Right. Well, honestly... I turn off all notifications on my phone. I have no, I don't even have those little red dots that, you know, with the numbers in them that, yeah. that appear on the apps. I, I remove all of that because I know that that is candy to me and I will indulge. I can't resist it. If right. I see, if I see a little that somebody messaged me, I have to go to it right away. I cannot resist it. You know, it's like, it's like dieting too. If you buy junk food and you put it in your house, I guarantee you will eat that junk food. You will not be healthy. Yeah, you don't go grocery shopping when you're hungry. Like everybody right. knows that. And when you do go grocery shopping, you make a conscious effort not, a list. To, not to put all the stuff in your house that you don't want to eat yeah. because you will eat that. In your home, when you set up your home office, when you even go out into the real world with your phone, you have control over those things. Mm -hmm. You can define focus is, a, there's two things that focus requires. So one, getting control of your environment, number one. Number two, blocking time. Blocking Gosh. time to do the, what you need to do. I, like I'm a writer, right? So, you know, I've, I've written four different nonfiction books. Um, you know, they've done really well, but I only got through those books and they're huge books, right? I only got through the books and the research by literally telling myself every day I'm going to write it from this hour to this hour. It's just like exercise. Like mm -hmm. who, you know, I don't know about you, but um, I don't love to exercise. Like yeah. I won't, ex if I ask myself, if you ask yourself this question, do I feel like exercising or do I feel like writing? The answer almost invariably would be, well, I, there are other things I would feel like doing more. For like, sure. It's this great thing on Netflix. I would love to relax. I'd love to call a friend. I'd love, you know, there's a million things that might seem more tempting, but if you're going to actually achieve something, you need to make that commitment and block out the time consistently on your calendar. And, and you cannot ask yourself how you feel because mm. how you feel, if you ask yourself how you feel, you won't go and do the hard work necessary. If yeah. you just start doing it, you will enjoy it. Like every time I go out and exercise, once I'm exercising, I love it. If I'm sitting there thinking about, do I want to exercise? Well, you know, I think of other, th you know, I, I think, well, that's a lot of work. <laughs> I don't actually want to exercise now. Right. So that, that, those two things are the key drivers. Oh, this things I wish I would have known five years ago, right? All of these like tiny things. And for like 
anybody that's like, oh, I want to like start a company or like I want to like get an online business, even a side hustle. One of the most powerful tools has been like time chunking for me, like Pomodoro techniques and things like that. Like I run at the time of this recording, three different companies and I work four hours a day most of the time. So the rest of the time I get to be dad, right? That's, that's the thing that is like my driving force. People are always asking me, how am I doing that? Because I have those windows set up, right? I have like two distinct windows while she's at school, one in the morning and then sometimes one at night that I can get all of these things done. And that focus and distracted distraction-free time, like you and I, both before we jumped on here, put the phone on drive mode or do not disturb or whatever it was so that we can just be fully present with it. And I think so many people unintentionally, or maybe they're just unaware of it, go into work mode and there's a ton of distractions on there. Like I try to make my workspace as distraction-free as humanly possible, where it's a notepad, my tea and a like pen, that's it. Right. And that's, that's where I'm at. I'm with you and I'm taking notes and having a sip of tea occasionally. Right. So important. Yes. How important is it to have a community? Like the, the law of averages has been something that they've been talking about since, you know, think and grow rich, like you're an average of the five people. How important is that truly? Absolutely. Who who you, there's different things define who you are. So Mm -hmm. I, I put it into three categories. The first one we covered, how you think about yourself defines who you are. The next most important thing is who you surround yourself with. So the people you surround yourself with define who you are and who you will become. So surround yourself with people you admire, people who can raise your standards of, of performance, people you, you, know, you can aspire to be, people who are very intelligent and engage you in, in, the, in the way that makes you who you want to be. Like when you're around them, you, you know, they're challenging you to think of new things. They're challenging you to do new things, go places, be somebody more than you are, like to grow. And then the third is what you actually do. So these are the three things, you know, how you think, who you surround yourself and what you actually do. Your actions, your, you, who you are is defined by your actions ultimately. So the actions you take. So what are you gonna think about th- doing things and stuff? Or are you gonna actually do it? Are you gonna think you're this adventurous person but you never actually go out on these adventures? Are you gonna go on these adventures? You know, uh, what work are you, are you gonna do meaningful work? Are you gonna do work that really provides value that you really feel good about? Then that is the type of person you will become. So you need to uh, start with thinking surround yourself with great people and then go out and actually do it. Do everything that you uh, say you want to do and want to be, and you will become that person. Couldn't agree more because it's so eloquently put like, and I also just thinking about doing is not doing. And like all the traumas that I've had in my past, try to convince me that the thinking about the doing is a part of the doing. It's not. Right. And like, that's just like a little bit of like a tough love from Captain Hoffman and myself. But like, do you want to see like success? That means you have to like walk the path, not thinking about walking the path, which is extremely important. So Cap, as we start to wrap up here, talk to us about the newest book that you got published and where can people reach out to you if they want to hear more about what you're doing? Sure. I'm happy to do that. So my newest book, my latest book published by HarperCollins is Surviving a Startup. If you want to check it out, go to survivingastartup.com, Amazon, it's everywhere. If you want to reach me for any reason, we have lots of entrepreneurial programs, lots of free programs, videos, all sorts of stuff on our website, you know, my own podcast on our website, everything. So just go 
to founderspace.com. So you go to founderspace, you, there's a contact form. You can reach out to me. I respond to my emails. I respond to them all. Or if you want to reach out to me, on the, I'm on all the social networks, uh, especially LinkedIn, a great place to contact me. Beautiful. And as always, my friends, those links are up inside the show notes. Please go reach out with Stephen. Like this, this has been such invaluable content, whether you're just trying to get clear on the direction you want to take your life, or you're in the process of taking an idea and moving it into genius through action, please reach out and get that clarity. Stephen, I can't thank you enough for spending your valuable time with us today. And I can't wait to have you back. Thank you, Dr. Chris. I hope you had an amazing time on this episode. As always, I want to give a huge shout out to our guest for swinging through here and dropping knowledge. And if you guys had a special takeaway, something that really stuck with you, if you could do us a favor and just drop that in a comment, in a review on the show, it helps us out tremendously. It also gives us the necessary feedback so we can continue to bring on guests that inspire you to be your best possible self. And if you haven't yet, head on over to Instagram at Dr. Chris Lee, give me a follow. And if you go into the link in my bio right there, you'll also see that Wired for Worthy are neuroscience-based, expressive, amazing group of unicorns community is open and ready to go. Or you can have this little secret. If you go to the show notes of this show and click on Wired for Worthy Community, what you will find is actually a $20 coupon to get inside of the community itself and start your journey to emotional freedom. Thank you so much for being a part of this family, and we will see you on the next one.